Romans 5, 10, and 11 will be our first, our opening text this morning. Romans 5, verse 10 and 11. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, how much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. With the help of the Lord, we'd like to consider the atonement this morning. The atonement is God's solution for humanity's greatest problem, which is sin. Does the world have problems? Yes. Do they all stem directly or indirectly to sin? Yes. More directly than indirectly, actually. In order to appreciate the solution, we need to briefly consider the problem, we could say, or the nature of sin. Or we could say before we can consider the cure, we, it helps to have a proper diagnosis of sin. So I'll say a few words about the nature of sin. A thorough study of the uh, word uh, sin in the Bible brings us to conclude that sin is both a condition and an act of the will. The Bible teaches that we are born um, a sinner both by birth. We are sinners, rather, both by birth and by choice. Sin is an act of the will, first of all. It's a willful transgression of God's holy law. Sin is willful defiance. It is asserting our own will against God's holy will. That's what Adam did in the garden, Adam and Eve. The, the, the greatest sin is saying, I want my will, not God's will. And we assert ourselves against God's holy will. Sin is not an accident. Rather, sin is making an informed decision. A defiant decision at that. Sin is knowing God's will and choosing to disobey, fully knowing that by doing so we will separate ourselves from God. So it's good to uh, remember there's a difference between sin and mistakes. Uh, it's dangerous to call uh, a mistake sin and also sin a mistake. So we want to have a proper understanding of what sin is. There's a difference between carnality and humanity, we're continually growing in, in grace, but God uh, provides a solution for sin, both for the act and for the condition, which is what we'll look at this morning, at least in part. So sin is also a condition, not just an act. Uh, it's that underlying condition uh, that is in opposition to God's holy law. It's from that condition that sinful acts spring or come out. Romans 8, 7 says, The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. It's important to remember and uh, keep in mind that carnality, the carnal mind, uh, that sinful nature we're born with, uh, it is enmity against God. We are born with this condition. Some uh, teach or try to convince people that we are born good as human beings, but we are not, and it's that society that corrupts us. But that's not according to the Bible. No. 
carnal nature, the carnality corrupts society, not society, the, the human nature. So we are born with this condition. God's issue is not with our humanity. It's with our carnality that we're born with, with that carnal mind, with that condition or inclination that asserts itself in rebellion against God. Sin has consequences. Sin is destructive. It destroys uh, lives, homes, marriages, families, cultures, societies, nations, the world. Uh, sin brought sickness, disease, physical death, spiritual death. Sin is described in the Bible as an oppressive tyrant, an oppressive governor or a domineering tyrant that enslaves its subjects. Uh, one songwriter put it accurately to say sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. Worst of all, sin separates us from God. God has pronounced the death penalty on sin. Sin and God cannot coexist. So sin must be dealt with. If not, humanity left is left in a state of eternal separation from God. So this morning, we're looking at the measures God took so that we could be reconciled back to God. The atonement refers to the reconciliation of sinful man to holy God, which is possible, made possible through Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. So as we think of the atonement, we remember that the remedy deals with both the act and with the condition. Paul saying in our opening text here that we rejoice in God because through our Lord Jesus Christ, we now have received the atonement. We were enemies of God, but through Jesus' death and resurrection, we now have been reconciled. So we rejoice. We appreciate the atonement uh, provided for our sin. In the uh, Old Testament, the Hebrew word, kafar, is translated as atonement, and it literally means a covering. Figuratively, the word atonement speaks of appeasement or pardoning or purging or reconciling. It speaks of canceling of sin or the penalty of sin. In the New Testament, the actual word for atonement is found only once in our text. But it's actually, uh, and in other places, it's translated, uh, the Greek word is found as reconciliation. But the atonement itself is fundamental to the gospel, entire gospel. The theme of the atonement is found throughout the Bible. It is the the most covered subject of all the subjects in the Bible. The theme of the atonement. There's a bloodline going throughout the Bible. We use many terms. The Bible uses many terms to refer to the atonement. Uh, when we say Christ's sacrifice or speak of the blood of Jesus, we're speaking of the atonement. Payment for sin. Redemption. The Lamb of God. Calvary. The cross. The love of God. God's mercy, the grace of God, reconciliation, restoration. Uh, when Philip preached to the Ethiopian eunuch, first of all, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading about the atonement in Isaiah. 
And when it says that if, uh, Philip preached Jesus, he preached the atonement, Christ's death and resurrection for our sins and for our deliverance and ultimately for eternal life in heaven with God. We have many benefits because of the atonement, forgiveness, salvation, deliverance, peace with God, fellowship, holiness, entire sanctification, victory, divine healing, access to the very presence of God and to the Holy of Holies made possible through the blood of Jesus. So there's uh, many benefits. And we certainly thank God for the atonement and we rejoice in God's provision. Hebrews 9.22 says, without shedding of blood is no remission. Without the covering for sin provided through Jesus' death, There could be no possibility for us to be reconciled or forgiven. The atonement makes provision for our forgiveness of sins. The blood of Jesus makes it possible that we might be reconciled, that we might have peace with God. Instead of being enemies, instead of being having there some enmity between us and God, the blood of Jesus provides remission of sin, forgiveness, reconciliation. Thank God for the atonement. So this morning, the breadth and the depth of this, uh, the meaning of the atonement, um, I guess we could say can be condensed to five words, which if you're taking notes, you might want to write down these five words as I will refer to them as we go. Um, sacrifice, substitution, propitiation, reconciliation, and redemption. They're big Bible words. Sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice, substitution, propitiation. If you want to know how to spell propitiation, you can look at 1 John 2, 2, which we'll come to. Reconciliation and redemption. These five words are these subtopics. As we read through the Bible, and, and this subject this morning, the atonement, uh, can challenge our st- uh, study of the Bible. As we read through the Scriptures, we can see how different Scriptures can be put in these categories, if you will, subtopics. Of the atonement. So these five words are loaded with meaning. Uh, they will enrich our understanding of the atonement. We could say these five words or these five subtopics are like spokes on a wheel. Each one is critical uh, to the whole. You uh, diminish one of them or neglect one of them, you have an unbalanced wheel, a flat tire. You won't be able to move forward spiritually as God provided. So we want to have a proper understanding of the atonement. Number one, sacrifice. Uh, Christ's sacrifice. Christ's atoning sacrifice. The suffering uh, and death of Jesus Christ was repeatedly uh, promised in the uh, Old Testament as salvation for fallen humanity, beginning with Genesis. When God said to the serpent that the seed of the woman shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. He was foretelling of Christ's sacrifice, that Christ would defeat Satan, but it would come at the price of Christ's own suffering and death. When God slew innocent animals to clothe Adam and Eve, those animals did nothing wrong. But when God slew those innocent animals to provide coats of skin to cover Adam and Eve's shame or uh, sinfulness, God was introducing to mankind that sin needs atonement or covering. 
And as the covering comes through the sacrifice, through the death of innocent blood. All of the ceremonial sacrifices in the Old Testament in the Levitical system, they all point to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was slain from the foundation of the world. David spoke of Christ's atoning sacrifice in Psalm 22 when he foretold that the Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced. Isaiah prophesied of Christ's atoning sacrifice in Isaiah 53. And by the way, we will slow down. I'm, uh, we're g- covering these five sec- subtopics first, and then we'll have some time slow down perhaps and, and in the second half to look at some application or thoughts of application. But in Isaiah 53, we see Isaiah speaking in verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. In verse 10, it says that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Speaking of Jesus, to put him to grief when he made his soul an offering for sin. So we see that... Christ was the sacrifice. Somebody had to die. All the types and shadows of the Old Testament can certainly, uh, and they are interpreted more clearly in the New Testament for us. We've heard it said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So John three fourteen through 16, the apostle spoke of the atonement, and and really is tying everything from the Old Testament to Jesus very effectively. Uh, last part of verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That is to be crucified. That's the atonement. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave... The atonement is an act of love. It's also an act of justice in God's uh, part. But the atonement is an act of love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Number two, substitution. When we think of the atonement, uh, substitution is one of the themes or sub-themes. Christ died as a substitute for sinners. The substitutionary act or aspect of the atonement is prefigured throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And notice, and the Lord hath laid on him, speaking of the Messiah or on Christ, the iniquity of us all. God put the iniquity of all of humanity on Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, for he hath made him. Jesus, in other words, to be sin for us who knew no sin. He was sinless. He was innocent. They knew that when they crucified Him, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So when God chose the harmless, uh, gentle lamb as the principal animal in the Old Testament as a sacrifice, He was teaching the people that an innocent life had to die so the people could be spared because of their sins. Innocent blood had to be shed instead of them. The scapegoat taken on the, uh, into the wilderness on the annual, annual day of atonement 
represented Christ who took the condemnation and the curse of sin upon Himself. Sin has a curse. When uh, um, Israel was about to be redeemed, which is part of the atonement, freed from uh, Pharaoh, from Egypt, God instituted the Passover. And the Passover lamb is a beautiful example of the Lamb of God. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. We need the blood applied to our lives. In the Garden of Eden, excuse me, Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Father, if there's a way that this cup may pass from me, the cup of God's wrath, Jesus willingly chose to drink. He took on the wrath that God poured out on sin that we could be spared. So that's substitution. Christ died in our place. Propitiation, number three. The Bible plainly teaches that Christ died as a propitiation for the sins of the world. First John 2, 2 says, And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for us only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Pro- to propitiate means to appease or pacify. The word propiti- propitiation signifies making amends for uh, wrongdoing or guilt. So we could say it this way. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus propitiates or appeases or regains the favor of God towards sinners who repent. In the atonement, when we think of the propitiation, we see that the in the cross, we could say the same. In the atonement, we see both the wrath of God towards sin and the love of God towards sinners, towards humanity. God cannot, because of His holy, righteous nature, cannot allow sin to go unpunished. He is a just God, a just judge, and He will reward according to our deeds. The wages of sin is death. So we see in the cross the wrath of God, but also we see the love of God fulfilled in the cross. So innocent blood, the blood of Jesus, was shed for us. 1 Peter 3.18 speaks of this also. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. might be worth noting as we think of propitiation. All man-made religions are works-based. They teach a person must do some things or a list of things in order to be deemed justified or saved. But the Bible teaches that we are not saved by our performance. It's not by our merit. It's not what bloodline we come from. Uh, we do not appease or regain God's favor by doing some good works. We are saved through grace, by grace through faith. Because Jesus became the propitiation for our sin. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says, For by grace are ye saved. That's the atonement. Through faith. We'll, we'll come back to the faith part. And then not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship or his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 
which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So this uh, scripture shows us that good works do not save us. Good works do not produce salvation, but salvation produces good works. Number four, for reconciliation. The concept of reconciliation is also a theme of the atonement. Um, When Adam sinned, Adam sinned separated or alienated humanity from God. But Jesus brought us back or brought about reconciliation between God and man was made possible through Jesus. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Reconciliation, by the way, of relationships requires two parties to agree. So reconciliation between us and God does require something on our part. Faith and repentance. Some suggest that, try to suggest that repentance is a form of work. But no, uh, uh, to repent. Well, first of all, sin is turning our back towards God. And turning, when we commit a sin, we turn our back on God and God's holy will, and we turn to sin. It's sort of like the prodigal son. He leaves his father's home. That's committing sin. I'm leaving the father's will and father's treasures. To repent of our sins is simply to turn back to God. Repentance puts us in a position to be saved. Repentance doesn't save us, but leads us to salvation by the grace of God. So God took the initiative for our reconciliation, but it remains up to us. In fact, in Romans 5, 1 and 2, we can quote it perhaps, but therefore being justified by faith, that's our part. We have peace with God. That's reconciliation. By whom we also have access. By whom? By, by Jesus Christ. By the atonement. We have access into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Finally, number five, redemption is uh, another theme of the atonement. And perhaps this is the one that often is diminished, uh, whether it's intentionally or not. Uh, by some. Uh, but in the New Testament, when we think of redemption, we see three different Greek words that uh, are translated as redemption. One means to purchase in the market. Another Greek word means to purchase out of the market. And a third word means to loosen and set free. In other words, redemption speaks of deliverance. The concept of redemption, you can note this, in Leviticus 25, 47 through 49, Leviticus 25, 47 and 49, we see the concept of redemption explained. And we see it has to do with the setting free of one who is enslaved through the payment of a ransom price or a penalty paid. So Peter in the New Testament speaks of redemption. Chapter 1, 1 Peter 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. The word there, redeemed, speaks of ransomed or liberated. You were not liberated. 
with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So when we think of the atonement, we think of these five words, but specifically of, of redemption. We remember that Christ, uh, through his death, and resurrection. He paid the ransom. He paid the penalty for our sins. Uh, us who were sold under sin. That's in Romans 7. We see that we're sold or enslaved to sin. He paid the ransom. We remember that in the atonement or in redemption. He paid the ransom so we could be free. In other words, Jesus brought us to, bought us to free us. It, it would have done no good to tell the children of Israel, you're free, but you're going to have to stay in Egypt for a while and sort of struggle and see how you can eventually sneak out. You cannot sneak out from the enemy's claws or chains. You need a redeemer. We are not redeemed with corruptible things, perishable things, earthly things, man-made things will never redeem us. So when we think of redemption, redemption includes deliverance, not only from the penalty of sin. That would be propitiation. We're delivered from the penalty of sin, but we are also delivered from the power of sin. Sin is powerful. God is more powerful. But we're also delivered from the pollution of sin through cleansing, sanctification, and ultimately, redemption speaks of being delivered from the very presence of sin. As we see the things going on in our world, we look up. Why? Because our redemption draweth nigh. Ultimately, our freedom is, uh, includes being redeemed or t- liberated from this sinful world. Thank God for the atonement. So today, the doctrine of the atonement is being undermined or diminished, rejected, replaced in a variety of ways. Some of these ways are more blatant. Others are very subtle. We live in very confusing times. And we should not be uh, surprised about this because uh, the Bible tells us that the preaching of the cross or the preaching of the atonement is foolishness to them that perish. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The atonement is a divine work. I don't know how He does it. I don't know how He did it. But He frees us. He transforms us. He liberates us. He makes us new creatures. I wish I could explain it even as I feel it. And I think I know every minister feels the same way. It's a divine work. Praise God for Jesus. But we do live in confusing times. And we can so easily be exposed to false doctrine. Um, and in many different ways. And with the accessibility of the internet and podcasts and social media, we can be exposed. It used to be that you'd have to, if a friend invited you to their church, you'd have to go into that physical building. And you may, perhaps you may be on guard knowing, not being sure what they're teaching there. But now they could just invite you through social media. And you could click on something in the comfort of your own home and start hearing things that may not be accurate. Uh, Spurgeon said discernment. We need to be discerning Christians, first of all. 
We need to guard our hearts and our, and our minds from being distracted. We can be distracted from the atonement, but we, all, we, we can also be drawn away from the atonement. So Spurgeon said, discernment is not knowing the difference between wrong and, and right. He, he put it this way. Rather, it is knowing the difference between right and almost right. There's a lot of doctrine today that is almost right. But you know, as I've been contemplating this subject and studying it, probably in a way that I never realized before, but the Bible reveals exactly what humanity does and has done throughout time. The more things change, the more things remain the same. Since the fall of man, think about this, carnal man, the one, the one with the fallen nature. Since the fall of man, we have a carnal nature that is enmity against God. From the very beginning, carnal man, fallen man has attempted to create a substitute covering or substitute atonement for sin. An alternative solution for man's problems. Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin by sowing fig leaves. And making themselves aprons. Cain sought atonement through the product of his own hands instead of a blood sacrifice. Actually, in Jude 11, we see that the way of Cain, Jude refers to the way of Cain, it stands for bloodless humanistic religion. We can, I'll just skip ahead in, in history and just name a few other examples. We heard about this last night that when Moses was up in the mountain receiving the instructions for the atonement, the children of Israel got impatient and they created a substitute, a golden calf. In fact, they even said, this is the God that redeemed us. Later in Israel's history, King Jeroboam led Israel in a national idolatry uh, by creating substitute altars to sacrifice both at Bethel and at Dan. Instead of going all the way to Jerusalem, he convinced them that they could at- obtain atonement by cutting corners. Shortcuts. You don't have to go all the way there. Amen. During Paul's time, in the Jewish culture, the atonement was being... Among other things, but some of the ways that Tome was being threatened or undermined was by fables and endless genealogies. First Timothy 1.4, Paul, Paul warns Timothy and he, and he tells him to neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions or troublesome debates rather than godly edifying. The Jews were so careful with their genealogical records. They attach such great importance, think of this, to their genealogies, that it took priority over the atonement. Christ's redeeming work on Calvary took a backseat to the significance that they were sons of Abraham or that they belonged to a certain tribe of Israel. And Paul says, don't give heed to those things. Focus on the cross. Also in Paul's time, the Greek culture had other things that threatened the atonement. It was being undermined by rhetoric or philosophical ideas. In 1 Corinthians one twenty three, 
We see, but we preach Christ crucified, Paul says, the atonement. Unto the Jews a stumbling blocks, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. The, cre- the Greeks prize rhetoric or philosophies while considering the atonement foolishness. And, and it was with that in mind later in chapter 2, Paul wrote in Corinth- to the Corinthians, When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. For I determined to not know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In fact, later, or around the same passage, he says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man, man's wisdom. I didn't come to, and I was careful to not try to impress you with man's wisdom. Why? But rather with the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, he said. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. No humanistic, man-made solution will ever suffice for our atonement. When Peter said we are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver or gold, those perishable, earthly things, man-made things. There's no military solution, no political solution, no social program, no economic solution, no ideological solution will ever solve humanity's problem. You cannot legislate holiness and you cannot conquer carnality through uh, any other means but through the blood of Jesus. In our generation, perhaps some of the corruptible substitutes may not be physical items like aprons, like Adam and Eve sewed for themselves, or fruit of the ground, or golden calves, or alternative physical altars. But there may be endless ideologies, and they are endless. They're always changing. It might be smooth-talking preachers. It might be secular authors who borrow Christian terms. And this is when we think of the discernment and, and keeping in mind Calvary and what Jesus did for our salvation. Uh, we live in a day that... Uh, well... Different authorities may use, may borrow Christian terms. They sound Christianish. That appeal to our Christian values, and we need to be discernment, have discernment, because these Christian terms may be used to promote carnality. As young people, and we have, we're blessed with a lot of young people here this week. We thank God for all of you. We must remember that we're not redeemed by the culture. We're not redeemed by uh, pledging our support to an ideology or uh, or uh, posting our support on social media for some cause. We may, uh, by doing so, may line up or come into favor with the world. The world is enmity with God. Every ideology in this world is created by carnal man. That is enmity against God. So we want to make sure we keep our eyes on the cross. On the atonement. Some emphasize the propitiation aspect or the substitution aspect of the atonement and diminish or or neglect, whether it's intentionally or not, uh, the aspect of the atonement, uh, one aspect, which is the redemption. Again, remember, propitiation refers to legal cover, a legal cover for sin. Uh, Christ did die on, on the cross to provide 
deliverance from the penalty of sin. But the atonement doesn't just cover our sin. It is actual deliverance from sin. Redemption refers to being liberated from the enslaving nature of sin. Redemption includes being delivered from the very tyrant, that carnality, that in Romans 6 and Romans 7, Paul's describing a a, a tyrant, the sinful nature is like a tyrant that won't let me do what I want to do. It's in me. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Is there hope for me? Yes, he finishes Romans 7. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's therefore, read chapter 8, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus and the atonement. Walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The atonement does not just make provision for imputed righteousness. That's like a legal cover. The atonement also provides for imparted righteousness. We do not remain, here's something to keep in mind, we do not remain sinners with our legal standing before God changed. It's not like once you're saved now, though some suggest this, that you know, now God sees uh, Jesus and He doesn't see us and our sin. But the Bible tells us that the eyes of the Lord behold, uh, look on the earth, they behold the evil and the, and the good. God doesn't miss anything. Peter said that we are partakers. He imparts to us. His holiness, His righteousness. He, we're partakers of divine, his, God's divine nature. That's 2 Peter 1.4. The blood of Jesus transforms us. Makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Provides for justification. That's a legal act. We stand before God as if we had never sinned because He forgave us. That's justification. But the blood of Jesus, part of salvation, not just justification. It's regeneration or, or a, a, a new birth. We're made alive. We're transformed. Uh, Revelation 12.11 says, And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimonies. Through the blood we have victory. We can live a victorious life. Through the blood we can overcome temptation. Is there temptation? Absolutely. Adam and Eve, created in God's holy image, were capable of being tempted and they yielded to temptation. But the blood of Jesus gives us power to overcome temptation, persecution, and defeat. We're strengthened physically, spiritually, emotionally by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus made it possible for us to live without sin. We already looked at it, but just briefly, First John 3, 7-9. through 9. How could we talk about the atonement without... Touching on this verse, Brother Jack beautifully captured this. But I might say, you know, there are crafty preachers out there, teachers, that may use clever cliches to diminish the power of the atonement. I happen, quote-unquote, happen to click on something, and I listened to a preacher that was very well-spoken and quoted a lot of Scripture, and I actually was engaged in listening to this man. And then after a while, he says... As Christians, we are not sinless. We just sin less. And I thought, that's catchy. It's a clever play on words. It may be popular in some circles. 
It may be said with authority from someone who is gifted with putting words together. But it's not biblical. That's why Apostle John said, little children. That's how we feel. We love each other. We're a family of God. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. That's the atonement. That's why he came. That he might destroy, not suppress. That he might destroy the works of the devil, and that the works of the devil is sin. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed, God's seed, remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. There's power in the blood. Wonder working power. We cannot explain it, but it works. The atonement provides deliverance. If you want to, you can look in Luke uh, chapter 1. And Zechariah prophesies uh, about Jesus, the Messiah. And he says that, that the Messiah has visited us. And he's delivered us from our enemies. And he's speaking of spiritual enemies. From uh, the devil, from the world, the flesh and death. That he would grant us, in verse 74, uh, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies or redemption might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. The atonement provides for deliverance from sin in this life. So we can live in holiness in this life. God's solution for sin is the atonement. And we rejoice in it. And in Romans 6, and you may note this one, Romans 6, 6 and 7. We didn't read this one earlier. But knowing this, that our old man is crucified. That old man is that carnal nature. That carnal man that is enmity against God. Carnality cannot be negotiated with. You cannot uh, try to convince it to behave. It will manifest itself in a way that's rebellious against God's holy law. So what does God do with carnality? He has to crucify it and destroy it. So Paul says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin, or carnality, might be destroyed. Not suppressed, destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin For he that is dead is free from sin. We want to thank God for the atonement. And as we begin, rejoice in it. To conclude, I'd like to read some familiar words that God has gifted to the church, perhaps to help us uh, uh, even get a clearer picture or a reminder of the beauty of the atonement. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's power in the blood. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy, there was great and grace was free. Pardon, there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. None else could heal all our souls' diseases. No, not one. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. 
For it was that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. Amen. Let's lay down our trophies, our accomplishments, and cling to the cross. And one of these days we'll exchange it for a crown. We're going to sing number 700. Let the blood of Jesus wash you, cleanse you, purge your conscience, cleanse your heart, make you pure, refine that love, perfect that love, so you can worship Him in spirit and in truth. The blood of Jesus is available at an altar like this. Let's come forward. Take advantage of it.